Well, it is Freedom Week here at Kingsland. I'm so excited about that. It's a time we set aside every year to talk about freedom in Christ. I know that uh, we, we have the privilege of living in the United States, and we, we love to celebrate our freedom, and that's true. But how many of you know you can live in a nation that has freedom and still be in bondage? And so we want to talk about a freedom that's even deeper than that. The scripture talks about in Galatians, it says, for it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And so we pause every year to understand how God can, can help us to experience the freedom for which we were made. Would you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 11 right now as we continue looking at the Lord's prayer, this model prayer the Lord has given us, Luke chapter 11. As you're turning there, let me remind you about Freedom Week and all that entails. I hope if you haven't cleared off the calendar that you will. This evening we'll gather back together here in the worship center as we have the theme of forgiveness and reconciliation. That'll start here in a moment. We'll continue this evening talking about forgiveness and reconciliation. What does it mean to forgive someone biblically? And uh, my friend John Trent will be here. Dr. John Trent will be sharing a little of his story. And so you'll want to be here for that. Tomorrow evening we'll have some breakout sessions because uh, forgiveness and reconciliation can mean different things in different seasons of life. So uh, what does it mean in the context of marriage? What does it mean maybe with adult children or with a, a prodigal? Uh, what does it mean in general when, when someone is not ready to receive uh, uh, any conversation with you at all or is not able to. And so we're going to get real practical there. And then Tuesday evening, we'll gather at, with a men's rally and a ladies rally. The women will be here in the worship center at the central campus and the, the men will gather in the courts right across the hall. So I'm asking you, clear off whatever appointments you have and be with us for those wonderful times together. Now, a few disclaimers about Freedom Week when we talk about spiritual freedom. Let me tell you what it's not. Freedom is not a self-help process where you just kind of figure things out so you can solve your own problems. Uh, Self-help's how you got in the mess you're in. That's what caused the bondage, right? Freedom is not prosperity theology where if you do this, it'll make you rich or healthy. Uh, the fact is it will not, but it will allow you to experience freedom regardless of your circumstances. Uh, freedom is not the same as doing whatever you want. Biblical freedom involves healthy boundaries, in fact. And finally, freedom is not some mysterious new formula that we discovered for life change. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we have been invited and called into a life of freedom, and we'll talk about that, and we'll begin today as we talk about forgiveness and reconciliation in the Lord's Prayer. Would you look at Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4, even as I read today? It says, he was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. He said to them, whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us and do not bring us into temptation. As you might have guessed, our focus today is on those four words, forgive us our sins. Forgive us our sins. God calls us to a life of confessing prayer, of confessing our sin. Now, a couple of mis, uh, misunderstandings about confession that we need to get out of the way before we start because a lot of people have gotten tripped up in one of two ways. The first way is thinking that even they, when they have confessed their sin and, and trusted Christ and received forgiveness, every time they sin, they have to run back and hurry and confess their sin or else they'll be unsaved uh, and be condemned again. That is not the gospel. 
Clearly not. In fact, let me read you a passage in Colossians 2, 13 through 14. Listen to this. When you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive. So you were dead in your trespasses and your sin. And, and the Lord, when you came to faith in Christ, you confessed your sin. He, he, he forgave your sin and he, he declared you um, forgiven of that sin. And now watch this with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of death with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. Isn't that a vivid image? You can see that is once for sure forever. By the way, if you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you've never received that gift of salvation, then you're absolutely uh, in danger of being eternally separated from God in a place called hell because you've chosen to reject the offer that he makes. So by all means, today, the most important message I could give is if you haven't trusted Christ, receive that forgiveness uh, and, and, and let the Lord remove your sin from you. Do you see? So, uh, but clearly um, what we see in the scripture is that when we are forgiven for sure forever by God, that's not something that has to be remade every day and like, oh no, I'm going to be unsaved. I need to be saved again. I need to be saved again. That's not what we see. If, if our, our forgiveness was up to us anyway, none of us could be saved because we're sinners. And if it's up to Jesus, then, then we don't have to worry every day. Like all of a sudden it's up to us to keep it up. No, God does that. But there's another extreme. Some people are tripped up by thinking that uh, once you're saved, you never have to confess your sin again because you're already forgiven. Well, clearly that's not in scripture, even in our text that we see today. Jesus is speaking to believers. He begins by saying, our father. He's obviously talking about the family of God here. He's talking to believers. And what does he say? Forgive us our sins. So he's saying that believers enter into this. Why? To understand how we get tripped up between these two things and understand why we confess our sins to the Lord, we need to recognize the difference between two principles. There is judicial forgiveness and there is parental forgiveness, relational forgiveness of a father. Okay. There's two different things. So judicially, when we have committed a crime or we've wronged or we've sinned, then we are guilty, justly guilty of that sin. And there's a penalty to be, to be paid. Do you see that only Jesus can do. So when we trust Jesus judicially, we are declared not guilty. Now, there's also fellowship with the father because now we become adopted as sons and daughters of God. And so that relationship can be impacted by our sin. That fellowship that we have been saved to enjoy can be impacted. Uh, here's an example of that family uh, relationship. So I have three precious daughters. It's very unusual for us to get crossways, but in the times that we've, we've gotten uh, in, in, in kind of an impasse, uh, how many of you know that uh, that can impact our fellowship, right? It can, it can certainly impact our communication. There can be tension. But there's never one time, even in the tension, where they cease to be my daughter or they, they, they cease to be loved by me totally. Do you see? And that's the relationship we have with the Heavenly Father. Once we're saved, he adores you. Do you see? Now, we have, we have affronts and sin in our lives because we're still broken people. And so God has given us the privilege of confession to enter into that. That's the difference. So I like the way David put it in his confession psalm. Psalm 51 uh, says it this way, verse 12, David clarifies why he's confessing to the Lord. And he says, 
Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Restore the joy of my salvation. God has joy that we're to experience in the relationship we have with him. And when we, when we have sin that's keeping us away from God, we're being robbed of that relationship, do you see? So we are broken people, and even though I am saved, I have, just like you, an affinity to wander away from what God has for me, and so I have this gift of confession where I can come back and lay it before the Lord and restore that fellowship that I have with him. Do you see? That's why we have confession. Now, I wanna talk about some aspects of confession this morning that are so important, and here's why. Because I fear that a lot of believers are being robbed of a tremendous amount of joy in their walks with Christ because they don't know how to appropriately deal with the sin in their lives. So can I share with you five aspects of biblical confession today for a few minutes? And some of you are thinking, well, pastor, I thought you were only allowed three points a Sunday. <laughs> no, there's actually, there's no verse about that. Did you know there's no rule? So I have five today. I want to share all of them with you, but I promise uh, they won't, they're not all going to be super long. So in fact, the first one, I'm going to be very brief because we're going to spend all evening tonight talking about it. So let's call it this. It is accepted confession. That's the first aspect of true confession, accepted confession. And, and uh, what I mean by that is as a part of a confession to the Lord... We accept confession from others who have wronged us. And in fact, what we'll find out tonight is even when those others haven't confessed to us, we still, we still forgive them. And that's, that's an overwhelming thing to some of you when you think about what you've gone through. We'll unpack all of that tonight, but that's what it says in the scripture. Uh, Matthew 6, 14 through 15, in the Matthew 6 version of the Lord's Prayer, here's what Jesus says when he talks about forgiveness there. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. So we're going to unpack this. Don't worry. That, that does not discount what I said. Okay, well, then if I don't forgive, then God will never forgive me. That's not what it says. We're going we're gonna to share something I think is going to bring incredible freedom to some lives tonight. I can't wait to share. So be here for that as we go into this deeper accepted confession. Here's the second aspect of confession. Specific confession. Specific confession. This goes back to the relational aspect of the confession that we're making as believers. It's not judicial. And here's what I mean. Let me jump in the weeds for just a second. Go with me and then we'll come out, okay? But when we, when we are saved, theologically, we're confessing our sin, singular. You might imagine in your mind's eye, all caps, S-I-N, right? Why? Because we're born with a sin nature. We are sinful people. And because of our sin, we are separated eternally from God. The scripture says the wages of sin is death, right? And so we confess our sin. We're forgiven of our, our sin, singular. Notice in our verse today, he says, forgive us our sins, plural. He's talking about the specific sins that Hebrews says can so easily entangle us and be a part of our lives. And so we're getting specific. Now, this is really important in confession. And the, the, the greatest illustration I could give of this, every person who's ever been married in the room can appreciate this. Have you ever been in a conflict with your spouse? You know, in the last hour, there was a dude sitting right about there that just started shaking his head no when I said that. <laughs> And I was like, okay, we have some confession needs to happen back here. That's not, I wasn't even done with the sentence and I knew he's lying, okay? Have you ever been in conflict with your spouse and you wanted to end it and so you had something like this? Darling, I am so sorry if I have hurt you in some way. 
You ever said that? How's that go? Is it just well received? Oh, okay, well, great. I mean, this is all over. I mean, if, if you are so sorry you've hurt me in some way, then let's just hug and make up. That's not the way it works. Why? That is so insulting because you haven't really confessed anything. What you've really done is just say, would you just, you know, stop this for a minute? So whatever, it's just this blanket statement. No, real confession, real shalom in marriage comes and we say, honey, I know I did this and it hurt you. And I should not have done this, and I'll tell you why. And so, would you forgive me? There's a huge difference between those two. It's the same aspect in our confessional prayer to the Lord. We're being specific. We're moving beyond general sinfulness to allow God to probe us and show us any transgressions. Proverbs 28, 13 puts it this way. The one who conceals his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them will find Mercy, there's that plural again, sins. You say, if you conceal them, then you're, you're, you're losing. You're the one missing out, you see? If you fly commercially, before you just walk up to the gate, what do you have to do? You have to go to the TSA checkpoint and you have to put all your, your stuff on a conveyor belt and then you have to empty your pockets of metal, right? And then you walk through the metal detector and uh, every now and then it goes off and what do they do? They, they say, oh, sir, you're gonna have to go back through and uh, do you have anything metal on? Oh yeah, I forgot about my belt. Or sometimes I try to get by with my watch. Sometimes my watch goes off, sometimes it doesn't go off. So sometimes I try to make it through and then I've just learned, just take the thing off. It's not that hard, okay? But, but if you don't, you have to take some more stuff off. Lana always has earrings, like one more bracelet. She goes like four or five times. But eventually, <laughs> we get to this point where what do they do? I mean, if it keeps going off, then they say, uh, sir, you just need to come on through, and we're going to do it another way. And then they get more, what, specific. So now they get the wand out. And so now they start going across all the limbs and all up and down uh, your body and they're looking for anything to beep. And okay, oh man, I forgot I had those nickels in my pocket or something. So you're walking through all that and they might frisk you. Why? They're getting specific. Why are they doing that? Because they want to protect everybody on the plane and at the gate and they want to keep you safe, right? That's the same thing that's happening in biblical specific confession because we're inviting the Holy Spirit to show us anything we might have missed and, and if we'll allow him, the Spirit of God will say, you know, you haven't even thought about this over here, but, but listen, this is, this is robbing you of the joy I have for you. And, and so we allow the Spirit to bring it to mind, and then we bring it before the Lord specifically. In the verse just before this one, we prayed what? Give us this day our daily bread. Daily there is the idea. Every day we're, we're trusting God for what he apportions us. There's no reason to not think in context we're doing the same thing with confession. Every day. We're inviting the Lord to probe our hearts and show us these things. It's not once every now and then. It's certainly not just when we're saved. Specific confession. Here's the third aspect of confession I want us to see. Contrite confession. This is really important because it's more than identifying the sin when we confess. Confession requires that I recognize the destruction and the evil of sin. I am forsaking that sin. This is so important. Do you know why? Confession at its core is agreement with God. It's not just acknowledging sin. You're agreeing with God. So that means is, um, it's the reason all through the scripture you see sometimes there's corporate confession where people are confessing the sin of Israel or confessing the sin of their nation or, or saying, Lord, we see this. Why, why can we do that? Because we're, we're agreeing with God. Like that's not the way that you'd have things go. Do you understand? So when we are talking about personal confession, we're not just saying, okay, you found me out, God. We are agreeing with him about what sin really does. If you think about it, many of you have read through the Old Testament 
laws. You get to certain laws and you wonder why they should even be there. You say, I just can't believe they even had to be told that. I mean, that's gross. So, so like, it, it, there's, there's laws in there that say you're not supposed to have relations with animals, okay? We kind of know that, right? That's gross. There, you're not supposed to um, have relations in your family, okay? Well, that's, we think of that as gross. Here's what I want you to understand. Subjectively, we have things that we see as gross or not gross. But objectively, sin is gross to God. So you need to ask yourself the question, is that gross because it's wrong or is it wrong because it's gross? Now, here's why that's important. Because I don't know about you, but I can have pet sins in my life that are not really that gross to me. I just think, oh, that's not so bad because it's something that, that I do. And something transforms in us when we get right with God and we acknowledge the grossness of our sin. And we stop seeing it as just some little pet thing and we recognize what's Satan's goal in your life and mine? It is to steal and to kill and to destroy. And so we say, God, I see this sin. I see that it is an affront to you. And, and Heavenly Father, I, I don't want to just uh, treat this lightly. God, I don't, I don't want it in my life anymore. We live in a culture that is famous for glossing over sin, right? People don't watch dirty movies. They take in an adult film. Uh, people don't lie. They commit categorical inaccuracies. People aren't lazy. They're goal-challenged, right? No, we call things what they are. Now we're, we're, we're headed to a real confession. Corey Ten Boom put it this way. She said, the blood of Jesus never cleansed an excuse. Don't make an excuse. Make a confession. I'll say something else about this because many times when we think about confession, uh, I love that our church is full of people from a Catholic tradition and God has brought you here. I'm so glad you're here. And, and many of you had confession in your background, right? Um, this stems back from about 600 AD in the Catholic church where uh, people would come in and confess to a priest. Now, sometimes we look sideways at that and say, oh, that's so wrong because we think, well, it's just become a way where people can go in and share what's happened to them and sort of empty their sin bucket and then go on out the door and do it again. But listen, if you think only Catholics do that, you're not paying attention. We can all, we can all fall in that trap. Do you understand? Of thinking, oh, I see how this goes. Lord, forgive us of our sin. And so, yeah, I did this and this and this. And so God, I'm going to hand it to you. Kind of push reset and go and do it again. If we're going to do that, we might as well be honest in our prayer and say, God, I just need to bring this to you and tell you what I did. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you because I really want to do it again. And as soon as I hang up and say amen, I'm going to go, I'm going to go get started right away. Like just be honest with God because that's not confession. Do you understand? Confession involves contrition saying, I, I don't want to do this. I, I agree with you, God. This is not okay in my life. Confession is the first step of repentance and reconciliation, do you see? And so we see these important steps, these aspects of it. Let's review, accepted confession, specific confession, contrite confession, and then we get to one that's gonna be a little bit uncomfortable, so hang with me. Communal confession. That means confession is done in community. Notice the words Jesus uses here. Let's just go to the, the last two, three and four. Give us each day our, plural, daily bread. Forgive us our sins, plural, plural. For we ourselves, plural. Also, do you see? I want you to see that this, this entire prayer is written in the plural. It doesn't mean you don't pray it from your heart to God's, but there's something about community, the community of faith and prayer that's really important when it comes to confession. Now, does that mean, well, if, if you don't confess to somebody else, God won't forgive your sins? Of course, that's not true. 
but you're, you're, you're actually short-circuiting the process, especially of contrition, if you're not willing to share. God uses uh, sideways or horizontal confession to others to bring freedom. We see that all through the scripture. Let me give you an example. James chapter 5, 16 says this. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful in its effect. Do you see? Prayer and confession happen in community. Does that mean you need to go to your community group every week and like tell, tell it all to everybody? It's probably not the best practice. It's not what I'm recommending. I'm saying you find one or two people in your life that you trust, that there are no walls between, like they, they get to see every aspect of your life and you trust them enough to say, listen, I've confessed this to God and I need to tell you because there's freedom in telling you. And, and I, I don't want to walk outside of freedom. I want to enjoy freedom. And so I, I just need to say it. And when you say it out loud to somebody else, you turn the light on in the darkness, it's amazing how God begins to move. Do you see? That's what the scripture's talking about here. And so when I look at my own life, I'll just talk about myself here. I, I find that I'm most at risk when I'm alone. What about you? And here's the dangerous part. When I'm dealing, wrestling with a sin of attitude or heart or action, um, I, I tend not to want to tell somebody why. Because I'm afraid of what they'll think of me or that it'll alienate me in some way. And so my, my instinct in the flesh is to hold back. But what, do you see the, the vicious cycle there? If I, if I choose to never tell anybody what's going on, if I don't have trusted people in my life or I've confessed it to God and I share it with them, I'm short-circuiting the freedom that I can enjoy if I do. So when we say, well, I'm just not going to tell anybody because of what's going on, first of all, you don't understand the brokenness of all of us and, and you're misunderstanding the, the joy that God has for us in forgiveness, that we don't have to live in shame. You're, you're robbing somebody else of the opportunity to speak life into you. But you know what we're really saying when we do that? We're saying, I care more about my reputation with this person or these people than I really do about whether I have a, a, a joyful fellowship, ongoing fellowship with the Lord. And folks, that's so much better than, than our secrets. Do you see? God calls us to communal confession. Find some people in your life who you trust enough to share what's going on and be that person in somebody's life when they're bold enough to say, I need to tell you what's going on. To say, can I speak on God's behalf now to tell you that you're forgiven and set free for sure forever and God loves you. God forgives you. It's a glorious, powerful thing, a gift God has given us in the church. So one last element I want us to see here. We've seen grateful, or we've seen, uh, let's just review real quickly, okay? Accepted confession, specific confession, contrite confession, communal confession. Last but not least, grateful confession. Folks, this is the best part. Times of confession should be times of rejoicing. You say, well, I thought it was times of contrition. Yes, we say, that's not okay. I agree with you, God. Here's why it's times of rejoicing, because God sets us free. There's, there's not a process where we say, oh, well, you know what? I've confessed. Now I'm on probation. Okay, and one day, soon, maybe I can be in right fellowship with him again. But I know that uh, when I prayed this, God said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll take you back. But you know what, I, reluctantly, I mean, you're, you're still my child, but you're like, 
you're a second class child. I mean, if there was a way I could get out of this, I would because Ryan, I'm so put out with you, but okay, come on in. I made the promise. That is not the scripture. That's not the gospel. Do you see? We see that when we confess, we are restored right then. We're not put on parole. We're brought into the family. We, we, we get that fellowship back right then. You see, it's not, it's not a 42-step process. When we confess, we're there. Let me give you a verse some of you have heard before, but it's so precious to the believer. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, there it is plural again, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from how much unrighteousness? All. How much unrighteousness? All. Isn't that good? If we confess our sins, he is, I want you to underline a word if you're writing in your Bible or write it there somewhere, he is faithful. Do you know what the word faithful means? It means every single time. He's faithful to forgive us our sins. Every single time. Faithful means every time. If I am faithful to my wife 364 days out of the year, am I faithful to my wife? No, that is not faithful. It's a contradictory term. In fact, every now and then through the years, I've told my wife, darling, I want you to know I would rather die than be unfaithful to you. And each time she's responded by saying, well, that's good, because if you are, you will. God is faithful. Do you see? How many of you have ever confessed sin to God, but afterward you still didn't feel forgiven? I sure have. You know, it's really important to understand your forgiveness depends on his faithfulness, not your feelings. And he is faithful every single time to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. A man was dealing with shame from his past, and he went finally to see his pastor and said, Pastor, I cannot get over this thing, and it's impacting my prayer life. And he said, uh, the pastor said, have you trusted Christ? Have you been saved? And he shared about having trusted Christ, the Savior and Lord, and set free. He said, well, that's wonderful. So judicially, like, you're saved. You're forgiven. But in, in fellowship, I understand that sometimes this can be an affront. So have you brought this before the Lord and confessed it? And where you can try it in your heart. He said, yes, I've, I've confessed it that way, pastor, a thousand times. And the pastor said, well, my friend, what you should have done is confessed it one time and thanked the Lord 999 times because he hurt you and forgave you. Did you see? In fact, if you think about the faithfulness of God, if we confess our sin and we trust that he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and, and it's under the blood and we move on and we still keep coming back to that, it's sort of an insult to God because we're doubting what he's done in our lives. You see? So God has brought us into this relationship, this love relationship, where we are totally set free from our sin judicially. And now he's invited us to confess our sin on a regular basis so nothing comes between us in that relationship. And right away we can be restored. Do you see? Because of the majesty of our God. Now, some of you know that I grew up around airplanes. My dad ran an airport in a small town um, in Lockhart. 
And so I worked at the airport a lot of uh, days after school and in the summers. And that sounds way more romantic than it is. I've shared that with you because what I had to do is kind of the gopher stuff. I swept the hangars and mowed the grass and washed the planes and put gas in these small planes, towed them around, you know, the airport. And so when you tow a small airplane, what you use is a tow bar. So it was kind of like this. It looked sort of like this. It was just like the, the width of a broomstick. And you'd go put it on the front wheel and you just pull. Doesn't it sound like terrible labor? This is what I had to do as a kid. Just drag planes around. Oh, so I'd do this. And so you need to know that at Lockhart, at the airport, the tarmac where a lot of the planes were parked was on an incline. I mean, not really a hill, but pretty significant incline. Like if you left a plane alone, it would roll down the hill and into this ditch. It wouldn't be good. And so you had to chalk the wheels of the plane. And that, that's just a fancy word for you take a piece of wood, put it behind the, the wheel, the tire, and, and it wouldn't go anywhere. Well, I got in this habit sometimes when I was fueling the planes and I was in a hurry, I'd just chalk the wheel with the tow bar. You know, I just stick it down there. It's kind of the size of a broomstick and it would stop it. So my dad would see that and two or three times he'd say, son, don't chalk the plane with the, tool, uh, with the, the tow bar. And I'd say, dad, it works fine. He'd say, no, son, it can roll over the tow bar. And so, you know, we all go through that season of life for a few years. You have this window where your parents really know nothing. I mean, you're trying to be nice, <laughs> but they don't really know. So I thought, okay, whatever, dad. So I generally use the chalks. But um, there was one Saturday, you know where this is going, right? <laughs> and it's really busy. And I'm being asked to put fuel in like two or three airplanes. And there was one Cessna 172, a high wing, small uh, Cessna plane. This is how burned in my memory this day was. I can tell you the call letters on the side of the plane. <laughs> 7-Eleven Foxtrot Hotel. <laughs> so I pulled it up. Our friend Fred, it was his plane, he wanted some fuel in there, so I got the ladder out and get ready to put gas in. I turn around, I, oh, by the way, um, the most important part, but you know where this is going. Okay. I'm in a hurry, so I just grab the tow bar. I'm like, I don't have time to find a chalk and just set it under that wheel. Works fine. Walk back to get the fuel nozzle, and I got about 12 feet away just in time to look back, and y'all, it was like a horror film. Like you can see what's happening, but you can't stop it. And it had already rolled over the tire, and it's just rolling down this tarmac. It's a busy day at the, at the airport. I mean, there's lots of people watching what's happening, but nobody can get to the plane. My dad came out of his office and he's watching it happen. No! This plane rolls down the tarmac into the ditch and the tail of this very expensive airplane just crunches like a tin can. Just and I mean, I got nowhere to hide. I got no excuse. So I just walk over and like, I'm so sorry. And he's, you know, he's dad. He's like, you, you're, you're right. You're sorry. Do you understand what that cost? And you're going to, you're going to keep working and pay all that off. And I'm like, I'll do what I can. I'm going to pay it off. I'm so, I mean, what are they going to say? So uh, watching everybody else and uh, you know, Fred's mad because his plane's messed up and the idiot kid, you know, didn't know enough to put a chalk down. And so, I mean, it's just a bad day. So I knew I didn't know how much it cost to pay off the, the tail of a, a plane, but I knew I was going to probably be working at my current pay grade until I was 104. <laughs> so two weeks go by, I walk into the office, and I've been working, and uh, they had these little cubbies in the office, generally where, you know, they put memos for people, but, I mean, I'm at the bottom of the totem pole of this organization, so the only thing I got in there was generally my paycheck. And so there's an envelope in my little cubby hole, and I thought, what? So I, I pull it out, and there's a paycheck in there. So I thought, man, somebody messed up. I'm not supposed to get paid for another 86 years. <laughs> and so I go and knock on my dad's door, uh, and I say, hey, you have a minute? Yeah, come on. I said, I got a paycheck. And he said, yeah. 
And I said, Dad, I thought I was going to have to pay this off until, and he said, son, you can't afford it. <laughs> you understand? I, I, he's like, you're bad at math if you think that your little paycheck's going to pay for the, the tail. But then he said something else. He said, son, I took care of it. You don't have to. I took care of it, and you don't have to. Now, the reason I remember that day is because it's really important and significant theologically to us. Do you know? When we confess our sins and it says he's faithful and just to forgive our sins, it's not because it's no big deal. My dad didn't cover the cost of the plane because it was not that expensive. Do you understand? He covered it because he had the love of a father. When we confess our sins, he's faithful and just because he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Would you bow with me, church? I'm going to pray for us in a moment, and we're going to have an opportunity to respond. And we're going to respond in different ways. Based on what the Spirit of God is telling you today, I wonder whether there's somebody here today or watching through Kings and Online, and you know in your heart of hearts you've never trusted Christ as Savior and Lord. Positionally, you've never received the grace that he offers because you've never set aside your own you know, fictional ability to solve your own sin problem. And today is the day of salvation. When we begin to sing, there'll be several here at the front. I want to encourage you upstairs or down, not to worry about anybody else, but just make your way down the stairs and let somebody know, listen, I want to sell that today. If I can experience that kind of forgiveness from a loving God, why would I not? Now, I know that there's a lot of people here and you know in your heart of hearts, you've trusted Christ as Savior and Lord but there's been some lingering sin in your life that you've hung on to that has never been confessed, biblically confessed to the Lord. And because of that, you have been robbed of an incredible amount of joy in your life, do you see? And, and you can experience that today. Now there's others, you're, you're dealing with a challenge in your life that I haven't even mentioned today that's maybe overwhelming and you just need somebody to pray with you and for you. And when we begin to sing, you might want to come forward and just allow somebody the privilege of praying for you about that. But you respond as God leads, okay? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would just give us freedom to move in this room right now, to respond. Even as we sing this song, we do so as a proclamation, a statement of faith of what you've done in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.